0: Going through the Old Testament, we're up to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. Last time we saw the Lord working through his prophet, Elijah. And Elijah showed how foolish it was to follow Baal, the false god. At the end of the passage, Elijah executed 450 prophets of Baal. And it was a great victory for the cause of the Lord God of Israel. Then the Lord had Elijah pray. And his prayers brought an end to the three-year drought that had hit the northern kingdom. And that was a judgment from the Lord, you remember, that drought. So this was another amazing display of God's power. But let's see what happened next here. We're going to start at uh, chapter 18 and back up a few verses. If you want to look back to verse 45... At the end of First uh, Kings eighteen, it says now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind, there was a heavy rain, so Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel, and Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with a sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, "So let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time." So we saw some amazing things the Lord did through Elijah, some answers to prayer, into drought, uh, all that the Lord showed how awesome he was, how uh, empty Baal was there's nothing to the false god so a lot of great victories in uh, chapter 18 we come to chapter 19 and uh, queen jezebel as wicked as she is she she jumps in the picture here and and she's got some pretty evil wicked things to say so as we look at that what have we learned about spiritual warfare guys <laughs> right after a spiritual victory a spiritual high what happens The enemy comes to steal your joy, you know, and that's what we see going on here. So what do we need to do when that happens, when the enemy, we know he's coming. We've been in spiritual warfare enough to have seen that as a body of believers here. So it really helps when that happens to stop and to magnify the Lord. And that means to make him big in your eyes, you know, make him your entire focus, and you can do that by going someplace like Psalm 100. So let's take a look at Psalm 100 for a minute just to practically get an idea of how this works too and something we can do. There's other things we can do we'll talk about in a second, but Psalm 100, is, it's short, it's to the point, it, it really gets our focus back in the Lord if you meditate on this one. So Psalm 100 says, a Psalm of thanksgiving. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. So, you know, just even reading through that, doesn't that just encourage you and lift you up? So if you can imagine, you've just been through a spiritual warfare, the enemy has just tried to drag you around after this, and he wants you to to try to lose that joy that God has just given you, man, you go to a place like that, Psalm 100, and the Lord just fills you right back up again. So it's really encouraging. Now, back in our passage in First Kings nineteen. So, what is Elijah going to do here? Is he going to magnify the Lord? No, unfortunately, <laughs> he made a mistake by not doing that, and we're going to look at that closer in a minute. But don't miss this: the Lord allows us to see these superheroes of the faith, like Elijah here, mess up, and that's the Lord lets us know that they're human; they're not perfect. And that is encouraging for us, you know? So if the Lord uses us and we get to see a great victory, and then if, if we mess up after that, we shouldn't beat ourselves up too bad because we're not perfect either. We have to give ourselves some grace, you know? In times like that, we want to receive mercy from the Lord, and we better be giving mercy to other people as well because this happens to all of us, right? So be, be ready to show mercy to people we mess up too at times, right? And we always like to receive mercy. I know I'm thinking, thank you, Lord, for the mercy you give me, and I want that from other people too when I uh, do something and and mess up, you know? But we we need to remember to give mercy to other people too. It's not a one-way street there. Now, let's look at Jezebel here for a minute because I I get this question, you know, what was she up to? I mean, she could have killed Elijah immediately, but she didn't do that. instead, she puts out this death threat and she gives him one full day for a deadline on it. Now think about that. Death threat, deadline. It's a little pun there, anyway, you no know. big <laughs> I think she was trying to pull off a power play here, you know? I think she wanted to scare Elijah so he would run away out of fear. Then she could boast about it and say, how powerful is Elijah's God now, ha, you know. And unfortunately, you know, it's something that looks like it took place. I mean, she had just lost 450 of her prophets. They just got killed. So she's going to try to save face and she's going to try to intimidate Elijah and make, him, make herself look good in the process. And unfortunately, I think her plan worked in making Elijah run away. You know, it makes you wonder, <laughs> how many times does the devil win a fight because we let him? We don't stand, as the Lord told us to. You know, he succeeds in getting us to look at our circumstances rather than to trust completely in the one who is over our circumstances. And all these are lessons for us to learn, right? So, so don't slip up and let the devil take any ground. The Lord tells us to stand in the evil day. I know after we had the parade one of the times on the, the way back from the, the parade route, we had the storm hit and it just ripped the, uh, the, the uh, thing to shreds before we got back. The float we had a long time ago when that took place. And I was fussing about it in the car on the way home. And uh, it was really cool. I told her, Lisa, I said, man, the, the stinking devil is trying to take my joy away. And she said, well, don't let him. I thought, I needed to hear that practical, straight, clear word from the Lord. You know what's going on, so don't let it happen, you know? That's the time we should stop and say, no further, no further. I know what you're up to, right? We just saw spiritual victory rejoicing, so let's continue the party. Let's keep rejoicing in the Lord. So verse 3 goes on in 1 Kings 19, and when he saw that, So she put out this death threat, okay? When he saw that, he arose and he ran for his life. And he went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. So it says that when Elijah saw that, you notice. So I think it really hit him when Jezebel sent a messenger right to where he was staying with such a scary message. So his response was, says he arose and he ran for his life. So again, Elijah became filled with fear. And why was that? Because he was looking at his circumstances rather than looking to the Lord. And I want you to notice something here. Look back at chapter 17 in 1 Kings for a second and look down to verse two and it says here, uh, then the word of the Lord came to him, came to Elijah and said, get away from here and turn eastward And hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. Now in the same chapter 17, look down to verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him, came to Elijah, and it said, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Uh, Then you go to chapter 18, verse 1. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. So, you notice a pattern here. In each of these cases, Elijah is listening to the Lord. But here, in chapter 19, we just read, we don't see him consulting the Lord, right? He just takes off. So, this is one reason, too, that we really need each other. We need to have a brother in Christ to encourage us and to remind us to seek the Lord when we're faced with scary circumstances, We all face things that can really shake us up. And it sure helps to have a caring brother in Christ to fellowship with. You know, we've been told here that Elijah had a servant because he left him at that place uh, in the area of Judah. But we're not told of any of the conversations they had. So we don't know if the servant tried to encourage him or not. It doesn't tell us that. So we're assuming he didn't have that opportunity but it sure helps if we've got somebody there that says, "Hey, hang on a second. I know, I know, this has really got you shook up, but let's look to the Lord. Let us cry out to Him. Let's pray." And somebody said, "This here's a, here's Elijah stuck in fear. Fear causes us to walk by sight and not by faith. Think about that. So we end up making decisions based on fear because we're focused on our circumstances." and not on the lord you know and in moments like that it would help us there to just stop and even say a quick prayer like lord i don't know why these things are happening but i trust you please help me through this and give me wisdom on what to do just a real short quick prayer to again get our help get our attention back on the lord Because we know circumstances can hit us and they can be overwhelming and and we just end up staring at these things over and over again and the devil's wanting us to do that, just keep replaying this problem, this issue that we're in. Instead of saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, I know a God who's still on the throne. He's still in control. I can can turn to him and ask him for help, even in trusting him through this. So in verse 4 it says, but he himself... So here's Elijah now. He went a day's journey into the wilderness, so he dropped his servant off in the area of Judah. But then he goes further into the wilderness, and he came and sat down under a broom tree, which isn't a big big thing, but it would give a little shade to him. And he prayed that he might die. And he said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. So Elijah had... Already gone down to the area of Judah, which meant that he left the northern kingdom. He wasn't in the territory that Jezebel was controlling at that time. But then he goes even further. A day's journey into the wilderness, we're told. That's quite a walk. So he was trying to get as far away from his problems as he could get. Have you ever been there? (laughs) Yeah. And then he finds a shady spot to sit down, and then he prays. You know, it probably, it's better to pray instead of running from our problems, it's better to stop right there and pray. We were in the midst of them, but at least here he did stop and he did pray finally, you know. And the Lord is hes always gracious to us. So you don't see the Lord coming down on Elijah like, why didn't you come to me sooner? Just lectured him, you know, like we might tend to do as our teenagers or something, right? But the Lord is so gracious here. Instead of Jumping on him, the Lord's going to gently comfort him. And then he's going to nudge Elijah along when it's time. Isn't our Lord wonderful? (laughs) He knows when we need to be poked and prodded, and he knows when we need to be comforted and nudged. And, And guys, you know as well as I do, whatever the Lord does to us, that's what we need at that time. Okay, so don't get upset and think, Lord, why are you pushing so hard? He's pushing so hard because he knows we need to be pushed so hard. Or he's, he's dealing with us very gently because that's what we need at the time. He knows us, and he knows exactly what we, what we need. And, and how do you like Elijah's prayer here? Now, this is a guy that just prayed and saw the drought, the three-year drought stop, right? But here he is praying a whole different type of prayer. Sounds like a different guy, doesn't it? First here, he prays that he might die. But if that's really the case, if that's really what he wanted, all he had to do is stay where he was, and Jezebel would have taken care of that for him, right? (laughs) That's what she threatened to do. But as somebody pointed out, when we pray and we ask the Lord to take our life, that really is a selfish prayer. Stop and think about it. We don't know what future plans the Lord has for us and how he wants to use us. God had some wonderful plans for Elijah. He wasn't done with him yet. I mean, he didn't know that at the time, but he was ready to throw in the towel at that point, right? Because that's what he said. Elijah said, it is enough. That's That means I'm done. I quit. It's over, you know? And again, we don't have a right to say those things to the Lord because our life does not belong to us. You know, we belong to the Lord. And that's not just a New Testament con- concept. Remember, we just... Looked at that in Psalm 100 where it says, know that the Lord, he is God. That means we're not. (laughs) He is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. So we belong to him. We need to be real careful when we we want to try to pray something like this that Elijah did. And then when Elijah prayed and he said, I'm no better than my fathers. He was saying that He was hoping to make a change in the people's hearts in the northern kingdom, but it didn't happen. So he was saying that his fathers failed at making a difference there, and he failed too because the northern kingdom and its rulers were still evil. But Elijah wasn't looking at things the right way. I mean, sure, he was hoping to see change, but changing people wasn't his job, you know? His job was just to deliver God's message and then it was up to the people to respond. And their response was between them and the Lord. And truly, you know, Elijah was not a failure. He was actually successful because he did exactly what the Lord told him to do. He delivered those messages. That's what he did. And that's the same for you and me. Our job is to deliver God's message the gospel. The results are up to the Lord and the people we speak to. We can't make anyone get saved. I know we wish we could. We wish we could push that button and see this person jump up and down and say, I want Jesus so bad right in front of us. But we just can't do that. You know, we wish we had that power sometimes, but we don't. So all we need to do in order to be successful is to obey the Lord and then leave the results to Him, right? Right? And then when Elijah prayed here, he said, now, Lord, take my life. That wasn't a prayer of submission, but it was a prayer of discouragement and throwing in the towel. A prayer of submission at a time like that would have been great, you know. Because you hear people say, Lord, please take my life. And they're praying a prayer of submission. That's not what he's doing here. He's saying, Lord, take my life. I'm done. When we go through a very difficult time, and, and we do see some very hard times, you know. That's when we need to draw closer to the Lord and go deeper with the Lord. We should never throw in the towel. Never give up. I hate to see the devil win, and I hope you hate to see him win too. So, so never give up. That's a selfish thing to do, and it does not glorify the Lord. Okay? Verse 5 goes on. Then as he lay and slept under a, a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank, and he lay down again. Now notice that the Lord allowed Elijah here to get some rest, which he probably really needed. And then the Lord supernaturally provided him with nourishment. And this isn't too bad. You know, you take a nap, and You've got the Lord watching over you, and then you wake up and you get to eat some angel food cake. That's pretty good. Then the Lord allowed him to get some more rest, you know. Verse 7, it says, And then the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. Now the Lord is starting to prepare him for how he wants to use him in the future. So when the Lord allows us to get some rest and to get refreshment from him, don't think that that's the end of the line. The Lord isn't saying, you've found your retirement, man, this is going to be great from here on. No, the Lord is going to continue to prepare us and train us for what he wants us to do next. Real simple question and a simple answer. How do you know the Lord's not done with you yet? Because you're still here, <laughs> right? <laughs> if you go home before the day's out, go home and be with the Lord, we know, okay, he's done, God, God finished. We need to let the Lord say he's done, not, not us to say we're done, right? That's his choice. So verse 8 says, so he arose, and he ate, and he drank. And he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mount of God. So look at the supernatural strength the Lord gave him through that meal. He was able to travel for 40 days on that. Isn't that amazing? And by the way, the number 40 is is used of judgment and preparation in the Bible. You know, the Israelites, they traveled in the wilderness for 40 years, right? Because they didn't trust the Lord and go into the promised land when the Lord told them to. But we also saw that Moses was in the desert 40 years before God called him to deliver his people from Egypt. So we can see the number 40, it's used as a time for both judgment, but it's also used for preparation. I mean, even Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days, and it was a time of testing, which he passed with flying colors. You know, now it's interesting, the Lord gave Elijah this supernatural meal that lasted him for 40 days, he was able to live off of that, but you realize... Jesus gave us a supernatural meal of everlasting life through the bread of life. Pretty cool stuff, huh? Now, Elijah was going to go through a time of preparation by this 40-day journey the Lord took him through the wilderness. And to be able to go this long on one supernatural meal should have been a great time for building Elijah's faith again, you know? I mean, if the Lord can sustain me and strengthen me for this long with one meal then I should be able to trust the Lord's going to take care of me the rest of my life, right? That would be a really good lesson from that. That's the one he should have been hearing. And I guess some look at this as a time of judgment for Elijah as well because he ran so far away, you know, without calling to consulting the Lord first. So now the Lord's having him to come all the way back to where the Lord wanted him to be in the first place. But he did make it back to the mountain of God, we're told, to Horeb, which is... Mount Sinai. And you know what? When the Lord calls us back to him like this, he's going to call us to the mountain of God. He's going to call us to the place where he wants us to spend time with him. Now verse verse 9 goes on. There he went into a cave and he spent the night in that place. So he got more rest. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. Don't you love to hear that? And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah?" So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone have left, and they seek to take my life. <laughs> now, a couple of things here. Number one, did you notice the question that God asked him and how Elijah did not answer that question? <laughs> yeah. The Lord asked what, not why so he got the different answer secondly Elijah was inaccurate in saying that he was the only one that was left do you remember when we we saw Obadiah a while back there he even told Elijah that he had hidden 100 of the Lord's prophets when Jezebel was trying to wipe them all out so Elijah should have known I don't know if he forgot it. he was just really so down he wasn't thinking straight here or what so I don't know what was going through his mind he might have felt like he was the only prophet left, but his feelings were lying to him if that was the case. And that's why we've got to be very careful when it comes to listening to our feelings. Our feelings lie to us very often. They can't be trusted. Do you know how many people have gotten into serious trouble because they've listened to their feelings? Ooh, very dangerous. The enemy knows how to push those buttons, so be careful. Trust in what God said, not in what you feel. So verse 11 here, then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. So the Lord's given Elijah directions here. And he said, and then behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind, tore into the mountains. Can you imagine a wind this fierce? It says it broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. That's some wind, huh? But the Lord was not in the wind, it says. And after the wind... An earthquake, that's enough to shake you up. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. Then in verse 12, and after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. We got a great lesson from this, you know. We might expect the Lord to perform all these powerful experiences in our life. But so often, you know, when the Lord wants to speak to us, it's just with that still, small voice. You know, somebody said that we might want all of these amazing mountaintop experiences in our life, but we really just need to hear that still, small voice of the Lord. We need to be prepared and able to hear that. You know, the most powerful time I experienced in my life hearing this still, small voice is when A guy was in my face and he was screaming at me and my flesh was rising up and I had this very loud thought in my head that said, you can't let this guy get away with that, treating you like this. And believe me, I'm sure I was clenching my fist and wanting to react in a bad way. But at the same time, I heard this still small voice telling me, don't do this, just let it go. And looking back, I'm so thankful I listened to that still, small voice. Because the Lord used that experience to encourage someone, uh, somebody else, the very next day who went through the same humiliating experience that I did. Had I not listened to the Lord, if I had listened to my flesh instead, I wouldn't have anything good to say to that guy to help him out. So it's really important that we, we listen and obey, that when we hear that still, small voice of the Lord. So part of this lesson is, don't go looking for experiences. You can get in trouble doing that. Just be diligent to spend time with the Lord, so you'll be able to hear and recognize His still small voice. Like somebody said, a lot of times we're too busy to notice when the Lord is trying to speak to us in that still small voice. But we really do have to spend a lot of time with the Lord and able to rec- be able to recognize that. You know, there's no shortcuts to this one. <laughs> You've gotta spend time with the Lord so you can recognize his voice. You know when you get a call on the phone from somebody you know really well, you as soon as you hear the voice, you know who it is, right? I mean you didn't have to hear him say, hey, This is Chuck calling or something, right? You're like, I know it's you, I hear your voice, <laughs> right? So we gotta be that way with the Lord. We we have to know him well enough, have spent enough quiet time with him that we can recognize that still small voice and that leading from the Lord. It goes on to verse 13 there. So it was when Elijah heard it, he heard that still small voice, that he wrapped his face in his mantle. And his mantle was his, uh, his sleeveless robe that he was wearing, kind of like a jacket thing he had. And he took that and he wrapped his face in it and he went out and he stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? So he did a good thing here when he heard that still, small voice. He wisely humbled himself. And we see that by him covering his face with his mantle there. That's obviously a good time for us to humble ourselves, too, when we hear that still, small voice of the Lord. And you notice the Lord asked him the same question again. He said, what are you doing here, Elijah? The Lord's persistent, and he will repeat himself if we don't get it the first time, okay? Verse 14, here's his response, same one he had before. He said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Now, unfortunately, Elijah still doesn't get it. <laughs> he doesn't answer the question again. The Lord asked what, not why. So the Lord was basically saying, what are you getting done here Elijah what are you accomplishing here I mean Elijah was a prophet and at this point he wasn't doing his job at all right so the Lord could ask us the same question sometimes you know just put your own name in there what are you doing here Chuck meaning are you doing what I've gifted you to do and if we can have the, we all have a spiritual gift. The Lord blessed us with some spiritual gift when we got saved. So since the Lord gave us that gift to use, He's got every right to ask us, are you serving me with that gift? You know? Verse 15. Then the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. Now look at this first important job that God had for Elijah to do. He was to go anoint this guy as king over Syria. And this was a divine appointment. You know, the Lord says in the book of Daniel that the Lord rules in the kingdom of men and he gives it to whomever he chooses. We're told in the Psalms too that the Lord exalts one and he puts down another. So the Lord has control like that and he's sending him as a real picture of this. And I'm telling you, this is going to be the next king over there. I want you to anoint him. Spiritual anointment amazing here what the Lord's doing. So verse 16, Also you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. So here the Lord gives him his next job. He's supposed to anoint the next king over the northern kingdom of Israel. Ahab's about done here, and the Lord's preparing the next guy. So before, when Elijah said that he was done and he was wishing to die, (laughs) he didn't realize that the Lord wasn't anywhere near finished with him. He still had important plans for Elijah. So again, we should never give up. Look at the rest of verse 16. It says, "Elisha, and Elisha the son of Shaphat of Abel-mehola, you shall anoint as prophet in your place." I think this was the most important job the Lord had for him to do. He was supposed to anoint Elisha to the spiritual position of being the prophet who's going to carry on the ministry of Elijah after he's gone. And look what the Lord provided for Elijah through this. Elijah has said that he was all alone that no one else was serving the Lord. Well, here the Lord provided companionship through his next prophet, Elisha. What an encouragement that should have been to Elijah. Verse 17 says, "'It shall be that whoever escapes the, the sword of Hazael,' Jehu will kill. Whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. So, Lord's letting Elijah know here that justice is going to be served and the wickedness that's going on in the northern kingdom is going to be dealt with. Remember, Elijah was upset that he didn't make any change or see any difference. And Lord's saying, they're not getting away with anything. Don't worry about that. And this should be encouragement to us as believers too, because I know there are many times in the world where it seems like wicked folks are getting away with murder. But we know from passages like this, you know, that their day is coming. They're going to pay for their crimes. And this is not karma, as you hear people throw around in the world, you know. This is called the justice of the Lord God Almighty. <laughs> and that's our God, and that's our Daddy. And aren't you glad of that? <laughs> Verse 18, he says, yet I have reserve, the Lord tells him. I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So this was another giant encouragement for Elijah. The Lord was letting him know that you're not alone by a long shot, buddy. <laughs> and notice who did this. The Lord reserved these 7,000 in Israel. Again, you know, we can't save anybody. The Lord's the only one who could do something like that. And reserving this many faithful servants, only God can do that. You know, we can't build God's church. Jesus said that he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. That's something that only the Lord can do. And uh, I needed that encouragement this week. I got a call from somebody who's asking questions about the church and they asked how big our fellowship was. And they said, well, that's a pretty small fellowship. You haven't been too successful at that, have you? I thought... Whoa, thank you very much, you know. I didn't go into it, but I'm thinking, this is a large church. It's not my church. So I let him take care of that. I don't deal with that one. That's not my problem, you know. It's not my job. My job is to feed the sheep. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> this was, that was for me. So verse 19. So he departed from there, and he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. That's a lot. And he was with the 12th one, so he's kind of at the end there. Then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. So you can picture this. The guy's out there working, and Elijah just comes by and tosses his mantle on the guy's, his robe there, that sleeveless coat, throws it on him. And uh, it's interesting, Elijah's coat here, we'll look at this more later on, but it kind of looks like a hair, it makes him look rather hairy, and we'll see that in 2 Kings somebody spotted this guy that showed up and spoke for the Lord, and he said he, he was a hairy guy, and had a leather belt around his waist, the other guy said, so that was Elijah, I know who you're talking about so, you can imagine this kind of this strange picture going on but that mantle was a symbol of his authority as a prophet so this is a picture of him passing that authority on to Elisha you know, somebody pointed out too that If Elisha owned all of these 12 yoke of oxen that it it appeared he did, then he must have had some amount of wealth, all right? So verse 20 goes on, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah, and he said, please, let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again, for what have I done to you, you know? And by this, you know, we we know the, the Lord's really intent when he calls people to follow him, Elisha here just threw that on him. He didn't stop and he didn't wait. He didn't try to talk him into the job. He didn't try to sell him on the idea. He just delivered the package and he just kept going. <laughs> you know, He knew that Elisha didn't have to answer to him. I'm not accepting applications. You need to talk to the big guy here, right? So this is between Elisha and the Lord. It was the Lord's idea to call Elisha into the ministry, not Elijah. So it's, it's real interesting to see this picture And notice here, when the Lord calls somebody, he's very serious about that. And he basically expects them to be following him the moment he calls. Don't put the Lord on hold. The Lord does not appreciate that. That's why Elisha says here, well, then go back and just keep doing what you're doing. Basically, he's saying it's no skin off of my back, you know. Look at Luke chapter 9 for a second, or I'll read that to you. Luke chapter 9 when Jesus spoke about this he kind of got to the point in a hurry Uh, Luke chapter 9 verse 57 now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him Lord I will follow you wherever you go and Jesus said to him foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head then he said to another follow me but he said Lord let me first go and bury my father Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. So the Lord is no joke. He wants us to be ready at any moment for him to tap us on the shoulder and to say, come on, let's go. Man, this is, these, are, these are tough passages here. Back in 1 Kings 19, verse 21. So Elisha turned back from, from Elijah there, and he took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh using the oxen's, oxen's equipment, so he used that to make the fire. And he gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. Now, this is evidence of Elisha's full commitment to answering that call from the Lord. He got rid of all the tools of his trade, you know, including all the oxen and the yoke. He even had a farewell meal there for the people that were at the place. So here he was, he's accepting the honor of serving the Lord, and he wasn't looking back. And that's the way it's supposed to be. That's the kind of commitment the Lord is looking for. You know, too many Christians want to have one foot for the world and the other foot for the Lord. But like Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters, you know? So Elisha, he's going to be a disciple now and discipled by Elijah. Ooh, that's a place to be. And Adrian Rogers really honed in on this discipleship aspect. I thought this was really good. It's kind of a long quote, but he said this, a disciple is one who follows his master, and the Bible doesn't talk about Getting decisions for Christ, it talks about making disciples. If you want to know whether any real and lasting and holy uh, change has been has been accomplished, don't count decisions. Count disciples. Come back later and see if anyone is following the Lord Jesus Christ. I thought he said that really well. So let's not lose our focus we're called to be a disciple of the lord jesus christ and to be involved in making disciples for him in whatever gifting he's given us so please let's keep that in our prayer and let's pray right now father we thank you for the lessons you give us as we see these prophets of yours and lord you let us see their failures and you let us see how you deal with us when we go through those difficult times as well Thank you, Lord, for being so gracious. Thank you for not giving up on us even when we give up on ourselves. But, Lord, you're there to say I can still use you. Don't give up. So I pray today, if anybody's in that place, Lord, where they're thinking of throwing in the towel, I pray that you spoke to their heart today, Lord. Please let them know that you have things to do with their life and they need to submit to you and surrender to you and not give up. So please encourage them, Lord. And I pray you help us to keep that in our heart that we're here to make disciples, Lord. We don't need a quick fix. We need someone who's willing to follow Jesus all the days of their life. So lead us, Lord, to those folks and use us for that endeavor, Lord. This is all for your glory. is for your honor. So we give back all glory and praise to you in the precious name of Christ. Amen.